So, do you want some ice cream? Cup or cone? Vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, minty cream mocha? Sprinkles, nuts, hot fudge sauce? Oh, forget it. Instead, you opt for the mall. Shopping always helps you clear your brain. But now, do you like that lime green halter top dress? Or that bright blue turtleneck? Or both? Of course, there are bigger issues you're wrestling with right now. The stock market, the economy, the safest place for your money, too many options, all of them equally uncertain. You can always get more money, but time, not so much. You've got to guard it carefully. Does everything have to be so complicated? Nope. Some choices are so simple. All you need to do is say yes. Good morning. Hey, welcome to the third of four weekend services here at New Spring. And whether you've been here for a long time or this is your first weekend to be with us, I just want to give you a uh, just personal thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, I know the moment I say that, that some of you have been Christ followers for a long time. Others of you are not sure what you believe or, or you're not sure about anything that maybe we would say. But I just want everybody to know we're so thankful that you're here at New Spring. And as I always say to you individually, and I would just say to you corporately, I, I hope that New Spring is always a good experience. Our goal has never been to be, you know, the, the typical church. Our goal is to help people, as our mission statement says, make a personal connection with Jesus, to really know Him, and to know what it means to follow Him. So I'm really grateful that you're here today. We're starting a brand new series. It's called Say, well, I mean, can you get a clue from what's behind me here? <laughs> Say yes. I was, uh, Dale Poor, who is the wizard on our staff who creates all these sets. I mean, Dale is a certified genius, and he and his team just crank these out. Aren't, aren't they incredible? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Mary Alice and I were having dinner with Dale and Michelle, and Dale was kind of sheepishly saying, he said, uh, the letters came out bigger than I thought they were going to come out. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. He said, I made some kind of mistake, and the letters came out bigger. And I said, Dale, with the word yes, the letters can't be too big. Because yes is a powerful word, isn't it? I, I, I've been thinking about this as I got prepped for this series. Yes is a word that means the discussion is over. Have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever been part of a team or a group that could just discuss stuff to death and never get anywhere? Or you could say it's a lot more individual than that, Mark. I'm married to the guy. He just discusses, 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 and the guy can't make a decision. Uh, but yes, yes means the discussion is over. Yes means the procrastination is finished. Yes means here we go. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> I have sort of a visual picture in my mind of what the word yes means. Uh, Morales and I have three sons. Uh, our oldest son is 27. Our middle is 25. And they're both grown and away from home. But we have a 14-year-old who's still at home. And when we travel on vacation, sometimes we'll go to theme parks. And when we're there, given my age, I have a tendency to ride the more sedate rides. Stephen Paul, on the other hand, he wants to ride the ride that goes a mile up in the air and then two miles down, you know, fast. And so he, and, and he comes to me all the time and says, Dad, would you ride this with me? And, and, and at that moment, I, I've got mixed emotions because, first of all, I'm just grateful that he's still at the stage where he wants me in his world. And, and, but on the other hand, he, like, takes me to this big ride. And so I, I come up with words that don't exactly say no. Maybe. That's kind of the magic word for parents, isn't it? Maybe. Maybe. What do you do with a maybe? You know? No is real clear. No says, I'm hanging on to everything I've got. No says, I'm holding on to all my resources. Don't mess with me. 
But after all, that sounds a little crass sometimes, so we, we have those maybes. But what do you do with a maybe? You know, if someone comes to you, and we're going to be talking about saying yes to generosity today, if somebody comes to you who's hungry and asks you for food, and you say maybe, maybe doesn't put any more food in his stomach than no does. Or another word that we come up with is if. It puts a condition upon it. Well, I, I know I should say yes, but I don't feel like I want to say yes, so I'll put a condition in there that just kind of keeps the ball in the air. I don't have the ugly feeling of saying no, but it gives me a little time and a little space. But if someone's starving and they ask you for food and you say, if you become a different person, then I will feed you, hmm. But anyway, Stephen is always after me to ride those rides. And, and so I, I, have, I hate to be honest with you. I tend to be a little bit on the fearful side at my age, especially when it comes to those harrowing rides. And, but I'll, I'll say things like, well, this is kind of like the maybe thing. I'll say, well, Stephen, I'll stand in line with you. <laughs> now, when I'm standing in line to one of those rides and I'm watching that thing go up and down and around, three miles an hour, I'm thinking to myself, I can get out of this line anytime I want to. And I have. I hate to admit that. I've choked at moments of destiny. I've said, no, I'm getting out of line. And, and then I get to the top, you know, and, and, and you're getting really close and you're waiting for the next, you know, cars of the coaster to come by or at the top of one of these whiz-bang water slides to go way up there and then drop straight down. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I could still back out. But then there's that moment when they put you into the, to the ride and strap you down. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I still could scream and maybe, you know, maybe they would just come get me out. But you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's always that moment if you're on a slide and you take off, you know, you just that little first few inches, or you're in that ride and you feel the cars leave and you're saying, there ain't no getting out of this now, baby. We're in for the whole ride. That's what saying yes does. And, and it's such an important word because many of us, you know, who are here today, you know, we were married and, and it all started when somebody said yes. If you ask somebody, will you marry me? And that person says, maybe. What does that mean? Maybe. Or if, yes means we're buying the ring and setting the date. You know, do I have the job? Maybe. Yes means I start Monday and I start hopefully getting a paycheck. Yes is a very powerful word. And, and so this, for the next four weeks, I'm going to be talking about saying yes, but there's a really important reason why I've, I've set this series for right now. You and I both know um, if you're paying attention to what's going on out there at all, you and I both know that our economy is in the tank. And I, I hear things that are scaring me to death. I'm hearing talking heads say terms like Great Depression. Well, I wasn't alive in the Great Depression, but I could, you know, I have this mental image of, you know, families bouncing down the road in Model T's with all their belongings strapped to their car. Or I, I have, you know, images of, of, of people standing in soup lines. Unemployment rates at 25%. So when these talking heads are saying, wow, we, we could be in the Great Depression, it scares me because I'm thinking, well, you know, in my parents' generation, when they were in the Great Depression, we were pretty much an agrarian culture, and at least people didn't starve to death. I'm thinking, you take all of the city slickers like us, you know, and put us in the middle of a Great Depression, it could get ugly. And some of you are saying, you're scaring me, Mark. Uh, I was watching news the other day. And there were some European experts that were saying that we could be in the worst economic downturn in more than 100 years. That would mean even worse than the Great Depression. 
So with that in mind and with all the layoffs out there and everything, people are scared. They don't know, should I, should I buy or should I sell? Should I change careers? Should I get the house? Should I not get the house? Should I refinance my mortgage? And what I hear when I listen to people talk today, it's like, I'm afraid to do anything. I'm afraid to say yes. I'm afraid to say no. Well, I'm not here to talk about economics today. It's not my gig, and I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough intellectual horsepower to talk about it anyway. But what I do want to talk about is four important impulses that it's okay to say yes to. In these tough economic times, when all of us are sort of concerned and maybe even freaking a little bit about what's going to happen to us, I want to talk to us about four impulses you can always say yes to. And these will not only change your life and my life personally, We will actually make an impact on those around us if we say yes to these impulses. This morning, I want to start talking to you about saying yes to gratitude. How many of us, you don't have to respond to me in any sort of visible, tangible way, but how many of us know what it's like to have an impulse to be generous? And by the way, when I say generous, instantly we think about money, but this is broader than that. I mean, to me, I find it much easier to give my money than my time. I go seven days a week. You know, if I see a cause that calls for money, there's some, you know, if it's a good cause, my heart goes out to that, and it's easy for me to write a check. But what's sometimes hard for me is to be generous with my time. Others of us, we're called to be generous with our, with our praise, with our enthusiasm, with our affection, with our encouragement. So in, when I talk about generosity, I'm talking about this in a broad sense, but how many of us know what it's like to have an impulse to be generous? You hear about somebody having a hard time, you run into them, you think, oh, I really should do something about that. Or maybe you see somebody who's hurting and you think, I should, I'm so busy right now, but I really should do something to help that person. It's an impulse, an impulse. What I found as I, as I got prepped for this series months ago was that many times I had an impulse And let me just go ahead and and extrapolate that and say I had a God impulse to say yes, but I found some kind of way to say not today or maybe or if. Saying yes to generosity. I'm going to be talking about that today, but before I get into it, I want to take us to the Bible. And I want us to look at a story in Jesus' time and career when he ran into a guy who couldn't say yes. He wanted to. He got right up to the edge of saying yes, but then he choked, and he didn't. We're going to talk about the guy who couldn't say yes. This is in the Gospel of Matthew, although it occurs in the other Gospels as well, but it's in Matthew, and these words will be up on the screen, and I'm going to be reading out of the message this morning, but let me set it up before we get there. Jesus is teaching, and Jesus was very attractive you know, people that weren't comfortable with religion loved Jesus. People that maybe hadn't necessarily ever had what would have been considered upstanding lives, they were still attracted to Jesus because Jesus gave people hope. And after all, he was God in the flesh. He was, he was God, God and human at the same time. Jesus shows us how God really feels about us and how, what God cares about. And he came into the world and his teaching was just magnetic and people were drawn to him and they were at various stages of following him. So while he was teaching, all of a sudden a young lawyer runs up to Jesus. He was sharp. I think he was good looking. He was smart. He was making money. He was, you know, in in the 90s, who would have said he was upwardly mobile? He He was an attractive guy. And not only that, he was a good guy, a nice guy. For those of you who are middle aged and you've got a daughter who's getting close to be married, this is the guy you want her to marry. He's got a good job. 
You know, he's respectful, he's nice, making money, friendly, energetic, engaging. And he comes booking up to Jesus, and, and, and he asks Jesus a question. Anybody ever ask you a wrong question? He's like, what do I do with that question? How do I answer that? Like, like the old question, have you stopped beating your wife? If you say yes, that means you did beat her. And if you say no, that means you're still beating her. So, This lawyer asked Jesus one of those have you stopped beating your wife questions. There's no way to answer it. He asked Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we could all agree with him on the goal, eternal life. Hey, that's, that's what we all want. We want to keep living after this body shuts down. So we understand that. But it was the rest of his question that was all messed up. First of all, he said, what, what, should I, what must I do? Well, you and I can't do anything to have eternal life. We're sinners. You know, it would only take one sin to go to hell. My goodness, I committed that long before the meter of my memory started running. I can't even be perfect for 30 minutes. But in any event, you know, he said, what must I do? Well, you and I can't do anything. And then he said, what must I do to inherit? You don't inherit eternal life. It's a gift. So anyway, he asked Jesus an unanswerable question. And so Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, keep the commandments. Of course. We can't do that, but I mean, that would be technically true. If you want to be perfect, just do everything right and don't do anything wrong. Uh, what was the guy's occupation? He was a lawyer. What do lawyers do? And we have a lot of lawyers here at New Spring. What do lawyers do? Lawyers negotiate. So Jesus has said, keep the commandments. The guy is saying, uh-oh, kind of like walked into a trap. And so he asked Jesus, which ones? <laughs> Not much has changed in 2,000 years. So Jesus starts answering his question. I, this is not really salient to the message, but I love the kind of way Christ answers this. He says, well, don't murder. That's number, number six. Don't commit adultery. That's number seven. Don't steal. That's number eight. Don't lie. That's number nine. And then he jumps back to number five, honor your father and mother. And then Jesus throws one in that's not even part of the ten. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if I'm that guy, this is my cue to back, you know, back the good works truck up and say, okay, I don't think I'm doing so well. But this guy, look at what he does. In in verse 20, the young man said, I've done all that. Now, Jesus isn't calling him a liar, but wasn't that really dumb? I mean, first of all, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Is there any of us here today who could honestly lay claim to loving other people as much as we love ourselves? But the guy said, okay, I've already done that. That's fine. Check those boxes. Where do we go from here? Jesus said, if you want to give it all you've got, go sell your possessions Give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing this young man expected to hear. And so, crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. As he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you. It's easier to gallop a camel through through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. And right at that moment, a lot of us took a deep breath and said, that's good, because I'm not rich. (laughs) Oh, really? We're the richest people who ever lived in the history of the world. You said, me, Mark, you know what I make? Yeah, you, me. I mean, the Bible says the richest man in Bible times was Solomon. I mean, Solomon had big palaces and lots of gold. But let's be honest, Solomon never had a hot fudge Sunday. Did any of his palaces have air conditioning? No. 
I mean, he didn't even have a 10-year-old Hyundai to drive. You see what I'm saying? In our world of technology, in our world of plenty, we are the richest people who ever lived. Do you know what Jesus is saying about you and me? He's saying it's easier for a guy to get on the back of a camel and gallop that camel through the eye of a needle than it is for us to be saved. That freaked the disciples. And they said, well, who, who can be saved then? Jesus said, well, those things are impossible with people. They're possible with God. And now we can let that breath of air out, okay? But the, the point that Jesus is making to this guy is this. Listen, if you really want to live a life of significance, you have to become a generous person. And what Jesus understood clearly about this, this lawyer was, even though he had many good things going on in his life, he wasn't willing to be generous. At that moment where Jesus talked about generosity, he walked right up to the edge of following Jesus, and then he choked. Could I say to all of us here today, anytime we walk away from a God impulse, we will walk away sorrowful. The Bible says this guy walked away sadly. And by the way, don't just think that Jesus was jerking this guy's chain. Because when Luke, Dr. Luke tells the story in his book, he adds something that the other gospel writers don't add. He adds this line that said, Jesus loved this guy. Jesus was human. He was God and human at the same time. You know what it's like when you just like somebody? You just meet them and there's something about you that just resonates and you like this person. When this guy came running up to Jesus, it was like Jesus liked him. Jesus loved him. Jesus was pulling for him. But at the moment where he had this impulse to be generous, he choked, and the Bible says he went away sad. I'm talking to other Christ followers right now, like me. Isn't it true that when we have a God impulse and we say no, we walk away with everything we came with? But isn't it an awful feeling? When you know that God has given you a stimulus to do something generous, something compassionate, something that's in a servant's heart, something that's, that, that perseveres. When God impulses us to do one of those things, and we say no, or maybe, or if, and we walk away, and yeah, we hold on to our stuff. Oh, we're just like the lawyer. We walk away sad. Guys, in 32 years of pastoring, and I don't want to be morbid about this, but in 32 years of pastoring, I've been at many, many deathbeds where people were like getting ready to cross over. I can't recall anybody ever saying to me, hey, Mark, you know what? If I had to do all over again, I'd be stingier. <laughs> hey, Mark, you know what? If I had to do over again, I wouldn't give anybody anything. I'd hold everything. I hold on to everything I've got. Nobody ever says that. But people often say the flip of that. They'll say, Mark, if I had to do over again, I would give more. I wouldn't be such a taker. I'd be a giver. See, what happens is it's not our nature to say yes to generous impulses, but then when we say no, we walk away and we're sad, and it doesn't help us, and we don't change the world. Today, I want to talk to you about that trigger word, yes. I want to talk to you about saying yes to generosity. I, you know, there will probably be three or 4,000 people here on this property this weekend. And, and I don't have any idea how you're going to deal with this message individually. For some of you, generosity might mean you would start treating your wife better. For some of you, generosity might mean you're kinder to your children and give them more time. For others of us, generosity might mean that we would help a friend who's having a hard time. It could actually mean that you might start being generous with God and, and bringing the tenth of the income as a tithe. Or when you look at the offering envelope and you see missions and you're realizing that there are people around the world who have never once heard about Jesus and you realize that when you become part of, you know, New Springs missions giving that you're actually giving people a chance to hear about Jesus 
you know, continents away. I don't know how it's going to resonate with you. I want to give you the principle, and then you can deal with that and, and see whether you're ready to say yes or not. Well, it could be going back to our story with the lawyer that somebody's going to hear this and say, hey, Mark, you know what? That lawyer sounds pretty smart to me. He had all his stuff. He had all his toys. He came to Jesus. Jesus gave him an impulse to be generous. He walked away. Mark sounds like he's smart because he walked away with everything he came with. Well, we would agree with a couple things. Number one, we would agree with the fact that, yes, indeed, he did walk away with what he came with. And we would also agree with the fact that he would be in the majority. Do you, do you hate polls as much as I hate polls? It's like uh, so many Americans think this, so many Americans think this way. Here's what the majority thinks. Here's what you should think. I hate that. But let's be honest. I mean, if we were polling, most people would be in the category of this lawyer who would say, yeah, he did a smart thing. He came to Jesus. Jesus gave him an opportunity to be generous, and he choked and walked away. And we would say, hey, most people would do that. And it could be that you're going to hear my talk today. And I know how things are. I know how I am. You could hear my talk today, and you could say, Mark, I'm not going to be generous. These are tough times. You know, if the economy rebounds and I win the lottery, I'll start being generous. And you could hear this and you could just say, not me, not, not me, not today. And, and I understand that, and, and, and I, I understand that feeling. But can I say something to you today? All around you are, are new springers who are being generous. I, I, I appealed in my blog this week. I appealed for anybody that just, and, and it was a spur of the moment. It was late. I should have done this even earlier. It was kind of late in the week. But I just asked if anybody's got a story about a time you were generous and you want to share it with me. And they started pouring in. You guys sent them to me in the email. You put them on Facebook page. And, and I was blown away by what New Springers are doing. Do you realize that right now in these tough economic times, there are New Springers who are being extraordinarily generous? So if you say, well, hey, Mark, I'm holding on to all my stuff, and you're not going to get through to me. Okay, I understand it. But doesn't it beg the question, these people who are being generous in these tough times, what do they know that we don't know? These people who are, who are stepping up to the plate and doing things that are making a difference, what is it that they know that I don't know? I mean, I, I got a story that just blew my mind. And this lady was there in 9-15 service this morning, this year, who gave a kidney to a friend. Massive, huh? Massive. Um, I, last night in, in our Saturday night service, I, I was so glad to meet this couple. They're brand new to New Spring. But they had emailed me, and just a wonderfully sharp couple. They are adopting their fifth special needs child from China. I wanted to say, haven't you seen the news about the economy? And, and, and today, in a few moments, we're going to receive an offering. And a lot of new springers, you know what they're going to do? They're going to bring one-tenth of what God gave them this week, and they're going to turn around and give it to God and trust God with it. There are going to be people that are going to look at that missions thing, and they're going to bring gifts, financial gifts, so that people around the world can hear about Jesus. So, yeah, in a few moments, people are going to do that. And, and, and there are all kinds of ways. I can't believe all the wonderful ways that people around New Spring are being generous so it could be that you'll hear my talk and you'll say, it's not for me. But the question is, what do they know that we don't know? And you say, well, hey, Mark, 
they're rich. They got lots of money, man. Easy come, easy go. They don't know about me. I can assure you that's not the case in most cases. These people don't walk on water. They don't have an S on their T-shirt. They don't have a money machine in their basement. These are very ordinary people, and yet they're doing extraordinary things. What is it they know that we don't know? And, and I, I, I ask for these stories, and very clearly there were four things that materialized. Every time I read these stories, there were four things that generous people understand very clearly. I'll give you those, and we'll go home. Here's the first one. Generous people know they can afford to be generous. If I'm not generous, unless I'm just a jerk, let's just say I'm an ordinary person who's not generous. Why am I not generous? I'm not generous because I don't think I can afford to be. I'm looking at what I have. I'm looking at my bank account. I'm looking at my income. And I'm saying, you know what? I would like to be generous if I won the lottery, if I had you know, a rich uncle die and leave me lots of money. Then I could be generous, but I can't afford to be generous. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, give and you will receive, period. Well, wait a minute. It was like I was thinking, give and you will lose, Give and you'll have a deficit. And yet Jesus said, give and you will receive. That's the Son of God saying that. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's what generous people understand. Generous people understand that they're not bound by the rules of this economy. They're operating under a much higher management paradigm. After I gave the talk last night, Lance and I went to his office. We were kind of discussing some stuff for today, and, and Lance was telling me about his daughter, Ellie, his oldest daughter. And I don't know, some of you may know Ellie. She's just beautiful, brilliant young girl and, and very talented. Um, and and she's, Lance was telling me that every time he goes somewhere, if there's somebody who needs help, Ellie won't let him get past, you know? She wants him to help every stranded motorist. She wants him to help. She wants him to, back at Christmas, Ellie wanted to give to every Salvation Army, you know, kettle everywhere. And she would not be satisfied until Lance did. And they were in a place this week, and I think they were like, you know, giving people an opportunity to give to Jerry's kids, MDA, and they were like the, the green shamrocks for a dollar and the gold ones for five dollars, and, and Ellie wanted Lance to give five dollars, you know. And then Lynn Lance said something, and it really resonated with me. He said, do you know why Ellie wants to do that all the time? He said, the money comes from me. <laughs> and Ellie feels like there's an endless supply. <laughs> hey, that gal is smart. She's so much smarter than most of us. It's what we don't know. What we don't understand is that the resources we have were given to us by God. We got them from him in the first place. And people who are generous, they understand this. They know that God is the source. God is the supply. I got this, I got this, uh, this response. One of, one of your sisters here at New Springs says, Hi, Mark. My husband and I needed to buy a new fridge one day because ours completely went out. His truck is also broken down that week, so I took him to work and headed to buy a fridge at 7 a.m. I purchased it, and on the way home, God told me to give $100 to a friend I was meeting with that day. I promptly told him, God, no. <laughs> you ever told God, No. Obviously, we had a few extra expenses on our hands, so he continued to tug at my heart. God, that is. I relented and wrote wrote out the check. Within minutes, a friend called and said she had a guy who could fix our fridge for about $75. That day, we said yes to God, and he gave us back the $1,000 we spent on the fridge, tenfold blessings. And then she put this at the end of her talk or end of her writing. I'll never forget 
that he is in control of our lives and finances again. That's what generous people know. They know that. That's what so many generous people know that we oftentimes don't know. They understand very, very clearly they can afford to be generous. Let me whipsaw this. Let me take it in a totally different direction because I honestly believe the hardest thing to give isn't money. How about forgiveness? How about being generous with somebody who's hurt you very badly? You see, the reason why we don't forgive is we think, I can't afford to forgive. If I, afford to, if I, if I forgive, then I will let this person off scot-free, and they'll never pay for the stuff they did to me. And if I forgive this person, they may run over me again. But generous people say, hey, I got forgiveness from God. I can afford to forgive. That's number one. Generous people know they can afford to be generous. Number two, generous people know you cannot outgive God. God is talking here about tithing, which is what believers have always done throughout the ages, is to bring a tenth of what we receive and give it to God. In Malachi 3, verse 10, the Bible says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room to take it in. Try it. This is one of the few times God says, try something. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. The second thing generous people know is you cannot outgive God. When you give God something with one hand, he brings back two hands. You give God something out of a shovel, he'll, give, he'll use a bigger shovel. God will see to it. Because after all, God's not after your stack. I mean, after all, if he, wants, he created the world by speaking into existence. Trust me, he's not worried about your money or my money. But he does want us to trust him, and you cannot outgive him. This is a guy at New Spring who gave to God, and he, he, he tells about executing that gift, and then I'm going to pick up his story here. He said, what happened next sounds like a story, but I promise it's true. The week after we first gave, I got a raise at work. The raise was about 1% of my salary. Not huge, but helpful. The next week, I got a Christmas bonus. That was about 10% of my annual salary, and it was entirely unexpected. The last week of the month, just to top it off, I found $50 in my wallet that I have no explanation for. I never carry cash. My wife didn't put it there. I have no idea where it came from. Mark, God has blessed me in so many ways. I literally can't share my blessings as fast as he can provide them. Can't outgive God. One of my favorite stories uh, was from a lady here at New Springs. She, she wrote, hi, Mark. I'm always amazed at how God blesses us when we say yes to him. When my husband and I lived in another city, we said yes to working with underprivileged women by giving up our time and resources. Getting to know the women and the children was a blessing in and of itself, and it was amazing what God did. However, the biggest blessing came in the form of an addition to our family. It is because of our saying yes to God that we were able to adopt our daughter from a woman in that same city three weeks ago. Her words, not mine. She closed by saying, you cannot outgive God. Generous people know that. That's why they're generous. You cannot outgive God. Hey, here's my personal favorite. You ready for my favorite? My favorite's number three. Generous people know that God is on the lookout for people he can say yes to. Now, for some of you who grew up in kind of starchy, organized religion, you sort of got the idea growing up in church that God was just looking for a reason to say no to you. God can't, no. Lord, is it okay if I do? No. And some of you who are in really tight religion, you got the idea that not only was God going to say no to you, he's going to slap you while he was doing it. (laughs) 
Listen to this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Second Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. But what does the word fully committed mean? That phrase, it means people who say yes to God. God is like scanning the earth, looking for people to bless. And who's he looking for? He's looking for people who pull the trigger and say yes. Guys, in these tough times, I need a few extra seconds to talk about that verse. Because the Hebrew word there where the Bible talks about the word there that we had in our text was strengthen. God is looking for people to strengthen. The Hebrew word there means to catch. I hate the idea of falling. I, I, I always say I'm an ac- I have acrophobia, but it's not height that I fear. It's falling. I don't know why I have such a fear of falling, but I do. You know, I, I think about Mary Surratt, who was the, the woman in whose home the Lincoln assassination conspiracy was hatched, and they hung her for, for being, owning that house. And she's up on the scaffold getting ready to be hung, and she said to the executioner, don't let me fall. And I'm thinking, lady, you're about to be hanged. Don't let you fall? But I understand that. I have a fear of falling. What God is saying is people all over the world are falling. I mean, it's just life. I mean, people have, they're falling emotionally. They're falling financially. They're falling in relationships. And, and, and that's true. It just happens. And God, but the Bible says God is scanning the world, looking for people who say yes to him so he can catch them. You see why that's my favorite? Generous people know. They can walk right up to the line and say yes. Because if they fall, God will catch them. I love the line from the Old Testament, underneath are the everlasting arms. Number four, what does the generous people know that we don't know? Number four, they know, and I like this one, they don't have to live afraid. When you hear all the bad news out there like I do, what does it do? It makes us afraid. What if I lose my job? What if I can't find a job? What if the worst case scenario happens and all of a sudden, we're, we're just like scrounging for food on the streets. It may not be that draconian. Maybe it's something a lot less than that. Just oh, this tentativeness. I don't know where I am in my relationship. I don't know where I am in my marriage. My kids are having trouble in school, and, and my friends are not talking to me. I mean, it, living in fear. And oftentimes, it's that fear that paralyzes us, and we're reluctant to step across the line and say yes to generosity. What does the generous people know? Generous people know you don't have to live in fear because God underwrites. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them, rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal, like Bernie Madoff. That's not in there, but. <laughs> store your treasures in heaven where moths, and that's, that's a reference for being generous. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Like I said a moment ago, God's not trying to get his hands on my stack. My little tiny amount of money, what would that mean to God? But here's what God knows. God knows that when I'm saying no, I'm not going to. He doesn't have my heart. Hey, I can read Christian books, listen to Christian radio. I can go to New Spring Church. But if I'm saying no to God, he knows he doesn't have my heart. He knows he gets a little of my attention, but my heart is over here with my money. My heart is over here with my time. 
my heart is over here with my talent package. Hey, it's all a crock until God has our heart. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Now, now think with me for a moment. Why is treasure so important to us? You know what? If you had five or six billion dollars, would you be worried about the downturn? Maybe for your friends. But you're saying, hey, I lose my job. It's okay. Got money in the bank. See, treasure gives us a sense of security. And, and that's why that until we're willing to release what is most precious to us to God, then he really doesn't have our heart. Generous people know that if we give something to God, there's plenty more. He's the source. And we don't live afraid. We're not, see, we're not just bound up with what happens circumstantially. There is no recession in heaven. God is not waiting on stimulus money, I promise you. God is not going to have to borrow money from the Chinese to keep us afloat. Of all the stories that New Springers wrote me this week, there was one that just, to me, I, I just don't know. When I heard about this, I, I had to call. I, this lady was in our 915 service. I called her Saturday morning, and, and I said, I, I really just have to ask you, tell me how you felt. Because this year, she gave a kidney away. Now, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be. But, I mean, we're talking about another organ here. But this sounds pretty serious to me. Because I'm thinking, you know what, if I write a check, I can get more money. If I write a time, or a give, give time, rather, I can carve out more time. But a kidney, that's serious. You might need that someday, you know? And here was a friend, and, and they, they loved this friend, and, and he needed a kidney. He was on a donor list, and nothing was happening. And so this lady went through the entire process, and in a short amount of time, she gave up her kidney so that her friend could have her kidney. And I had to ask her this. I said, you got to tell me, when you were, like, being wheeled into surgery, what were you thinking? And I expected her to say, well, I was thinking about how much this might help my friend. And she was, but that's not what she said. I was expecting her to say, well, I was a little afraid. I would have been, but that isn't what she said. You know what she said? Blew my mind. I just had to tell you about it today. She said, on the way into the operating room, all I was thinking about is, wow, I have an awesome God. Bam, it just hit me that fast. I'm thinking, this is what generous people know. They don't have to be afraid because we have an awesome God. And that is why we can step across the line and say, yes, you can't outgive God. You can afford to be generous. God is looking for people who are generous so that he can catch them and strengthen him. And we don't have to live in fear. I know I'm out of time. Let me ask you a question. What would it take to turn your no into a yes? When you have an impulse to be generous, what would it take? Really, think with me for a moment. What would it take? Because some of us can hear this talk and say, oh, after all that, I'm still, I'm locked down. Maybe, <laughs> if, 
Here's, here's what you have already. You've got God saying, give, and, and he'll give back to you. You've had God saying, if you give me something, I'll give you something bigger. You have God saying, you don't even have to be afraid. What would be bigger than God's assurance? Hey, guys and gals, if you, if you have a, a, a craftsman tool and it breaks, are you worried about it? No. Take it back to Sears. Lifetime guarantee. Could you trust God as much as you could trust Sears? What would it take to turn your no into a yes? I'll just leave it there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for letting us be here today. Thank you for your wisdom and your promises to us. Lord, remember that we're frail. Remember that we struggle with faith. So please help us. Father, I, I just really feel like in these four services today, there are going to be a number of people who just like see generosity in a whole new light. Would you just help them quickly, Lord, when they step forward to be generous? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, just one more moment. Could you pray with me, please? Just all of us praying. I talked about saying yes to generosity. I want to talk about saying yes in a whole different way. I want to talk to you about saying yes to receive a gift. I want to talk to you about receiving everlasting life and a relationship with God. Remember what the, the lawyer asked, the question he asked, what, what do I do? And we said you can't do anything. Eternal life is a gift. It's something God gives you. Jesus paid for it. And what, what had to happen was somebody had to pay for all our sins because the only way we could pay for them was to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody in hell. He loved you so much that he was willing to give away what meant most to him in the world, which is his only son, Jesus came into our world, laid on a Roman cross. They nailed him there, and he hung for six hours. And the way God looked at it, when Jesus finished dying, all your sins had been paid for. That's tantamount to God writing you a check for everything. But a check's no good unless it's endorsed. You know what God's looking for from you? Not a maybe, not an if, or a when I understand it all. God's looking for a yes. If you've been thinking about saying yes to Jesus, I want to pray a prayer, and these aren't magic words, but if you mean them from your heart, God will take it as a yes. You may have tried religion. You may have tried all kinds of stuff, but right now you're ready to just have a personal relationship with God. I'm going to pray a prayer. You think about these words as I pray them slowly, and if you're ready to say yes to God, why don't we do that right now? I'll pray, and if you're ready, you follow me in prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you died to pay for my sins. I receive you. I accept you as my Savior and my King. In Jesus' name. I know that happened lightning fast. And you could say, Mark, I'm not even sure what happened to me. Well, I have a gift that I prepared for you. This is a little packet. It's got some great DVDs in it and some wonderful material that fleshes out the decision that you just made. It will not cost you a penny. If you just prayed to receive Christ and you'd like for me to mail that to you, here's what you need to do. Take your worship folder and detach the bottom panel. Put your address on here. And then just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. And you can drop this in the offering bags when they come by, the boxes at the bottom of the stairway, 
or at the back door there, just drop them in. If it has your address, I'll mail you this this week. If you're like me and you don't like to wait, if you've got just a few extra seconds when the service is over, I'm going to point right through those middle doors. There's two zones called Guest Services and New Spring Store. If you just accepted Christ and you want to take this with you today, all you've got to do is bring that card back. They won't ask you any difficult or you know, crazy questions or anything. All you've got to do is just say, I pray with Mark today. Give them the card. You can take this home with you. Because here at New Spring, what we care about is we want you to know Jesus. We want you to have a relationship with God. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. And while they're coming, just a real brief word. I know New Spring is growing lightning fast. Many of you have been attending for a few weeks, and you're thinking this is your church home. You want to officially become part of New Spring, or at least you're contemplating that. We're preparing an environment called Discovery, and that's next Sunday morning at 9.15. If you get up and you don't have time for breakfast, there will be light snacks and stuff. You'll get to know what New Spring is all about. You'll get an orientation to our church. The staff will be there. you get a chance to meet them. I'll be there. If we haven't met, I'll get to meet you there. That's next, week, next weekend at 9.15. We'd love to invite you to come. You'll see a little bit more about it. You can register for it online. God bless.